Today is the second Sunday of Advent. Um, it's a Sunday of love. And Advent means expectation or arrival or coming. It's this season in which we celebrate the coming of Jesus as a baby. It's the season in which we, we gather together and we remember and we reflect. And it's this season we wait expectantly for God to come again. But the coming or the arrival of Jesus also brought into the world God's love in a way that was tangible, that could be touched and felt and known. And see, love makes us do kind of crazy things. I mean, maybe you figured this out. Love makes us do things that don't make sense. I, I heard a story this week of a, a husband in Germany, and he's, they were, he and his wife were both Americans living in Germany, and so he drove five hours to go get Chipotle on the other side of the country so that she could have Chipotle since she was pregnant. I mean, that borders on stupidity, not love, but I mean, that, like, that's something we do when we love people. We do kind of crazy things. We do things that are unexpected. So I was thinking about how, how love often, often leads to unexpected rivals or unexpected relationships. And so I, I was thinking about even how my wife and I met. So she, she began attending the church that I was on staff. And, and I, one Sunday, I saw her kind of in the back row. And I asked our secretary, we were in the hallway. And I said, do you know who that is? She said, no. And I said, okay. And that was the end of it for me. And then about a week or two later, she stopped me between services on Easter Sunday, actually, and said, hey, um, do you get coffee sometime? And I was like, well, you know, I don't know, we'll see. Um, it's really not an exaggeration, but it was because the guy behind me wanted me to date his daughter, and I wasn't interested at all, and, and I didn't want to get fired. So I just waited, and I called her later and apologized that I was short and said I'd love to. So, but love makes us do crazy things. So she actually drove out of her way, not planning to go to church that day, was driving to help family friends on, uh, and just decided unexpectedly to turn in. But love makes us do kind of crazy things, right? We've all done things that we look back and we think, oh, that's, that is crazy. But one of the things that love often does for us is it, it requires music. We write songs about love. We write songs that are filled with hope and love. I mean, we, we kind of write music, kind of becomes this language of life that we use that articulates things that we can't always express in words. And so one of the ways that happens is every musical artist, their desire is to write the it song of the summer because it will be played for decades to come and people will look back and go, oh, do you remember when? Like, this is true. If I were to go back and find all the It Summer songs over the last, like, 50 years, I'd begin playing them randomly, and people in this room would, you know, different people at different times would go, oh, yeah, I remember that one. I remember what I did. That was a good summer, right? I mean, like, that's kind of what happens. It becomes the defining song of the summer or of that time. But have you noticed how couples lots of times have songs? I go, oh, that's our song. My favorite is teenage couples because they'll go, oh, that's my song. And then they'll break up five times and then it'll be their song with someone else. And they're like, oh, that's our song. Wait, I thought that was our song. Well, I don't know. It's, I just like the song, so it's my song. But I mean, like, this is what kind of happens. We, we have our song and they ruin good songs because they've equated it with someone else and now they're in trouble when, when they find someone else they like now. But my, my in-laws have a song. Maybe you have a song. I, I don't. Kate and I don't. We've had this conversation I, don't, I can't decide if she's glad we don't or she wishes we did, but um, she blames me, which is fair. But my in-laws have a song to the point that when it comes on, I want to vomit a little bit in my mouth. Um, it's Billy Joel, Just the Way You Are. When the song comes on, it seems like it always comes on when I'm at their house. I don't know if they have it set every like 10 songs. It must play. I don't know how it works. But I know this, when that song comes on, whether we're there or somewhere else, they will stop whatever they're doing. And they'll start dancing together. It's so cute. Like I said, it makes me sick. 
Like the best one is like sweatpants and dirty t-shirt. Let's dance. My God. Good luck with that. You know, but, but then my kids will now hop in and go, can we dance too? And so then I think that's funny. But, but they have their song. And so, but what that song represents to them is that we've committed together to share a life. And so we really, they, they talk about how that particular song, Just the Way You Are, is that they were commitment to one another on the front end of their marriage, that as you are, I will love you. So, I mean, it's kind of sappy. Like I said, it might make you sick. Um, but when that song comes on, they do something about it. It sparks a memory. It sparks action. But other times, there are songs that remind us of moments in life that we don't really want to be reminded of. There were things that happened that a particular song brings back memories. Maybe it's a breakup or whatever it might be. And so that particular song brings back memories that you wish you didn't have. So in the office this week, I was asking, I said, how many of you guys have a song that that was really influential in your life that that when it comes on, you just remember something so vividly? And and Pastor Jennifer shared something, and she goes, but I don't like this song. And I said, oh, okay, then I definitely want to use yours. What is it? Uh, And she said, well, there's a song, One Thing Remains, and it's by the band Jesus Culture. And she says, I I really don't like that song. I said, well, that's too bad, because I kind of like it. In fact, she goes, I know, we sing it here sometimes. like, well, good. Um, She says, I don't like that song. And I said, well, why? Because when we lost our house in a tornado, that was the song that when I got the phone call that it had happened, that was the song that the youth group I was with was singing. And so I don't like that song because it reminds me of that. And so I looked at it, and I, and I knew some of the lyrics from the song. I don't memorize lots of songs, but I knew some from this one. And I said, man, do you, do you think maybe, um, you think maybe God can use that song? I think, do you maybe like that was helpful for you that much? She goes, yeah, actually, I really do. It just doesn't mean I like it. And I said, yeah, because there's a line. She goes, yeah, I know what line. And I, and I said, because I believe the song goes like this. One thing remains. Your love never fails. It never gives up. It never runs out on me. If you've lost everything and you've got nothing left, this guy who promises this one thing will always remain. My love will always be there. I'll never run out and I'll never give up on you. Songs do things to us. Even if you don't like music, See, I think some of you like songs because it, it, maybe you think I basically write songs on Sundays because songs, they don't have to make a lot of sense. Have you noticed that? If they just sound really good, that works. You can just throw a bunch of good stuff together and it, it can work. But there's a song I was thinking about a couple years ago I heard for the first time. It's called Preacher. I was like, oh, I should listen to this. It's, it's kind of what I do for a living. Um, so I, I listened to it. It's by a band named One Republic. And <clears throat> I started listening to it and I don't remember who told me about it. And so I... I listened to it, and they're not, they're not in any way we just define as like a Christian band, but I, but I was intrigued by the name, so I wanted to hear the lyrics, and so I began listening, and so he starts, and he says, my grandfather was a preacher, and I was like, hey, so was mine. I mean, like, this is, we have a lot in common. He didn't know I was talking to him, but I was. And then it says that my grandfather was a million miles from a million dollars, and I was like, so is mine. I mean, like, I know what that is. Like, you know, I, he's a million miles from a million dollars, too. And then he used the line um, that I, I was like, yeah, I'm with you on the first half of this, but not the second. He says, my grandfather was something like a teacher. And I was like, yeah, that, that works. I'm, I'm with you. But then he says in the song, and he taught people that God only helps those who help themselves. Thought, oh, you lost me. 
Like, I was with you the whole time, man. My grandfather was a preacher. Like, he's a million miles from a million dollars. I'm with you. Um, he was something like a teacher. I'm, I'm in, but you lose me on the last line because that's bad theology. See, I'm not blaming the grandfather. I'm just saying the grandson didn't listen. That's, that's what I'm going with. I'm going to say the grandfather didn't really teach that, I hope. Right, because that's not who God is. God is the God who helps us because we can't help ourselves. I mean, sure, yeah, be wise in how you live. Make wise decisions. Do do the right thing for the right reasons. Work hard. I mean, that stuff's often honored, and, and you might see it in your paycheck or other areas of your life when you do the right things for the right reasons and you work hard. I mean, that, that gets rewarded when you use your brain intelligently. That's by God's design. But the idea that God only helps those who help themselves is actually really bad understanding of who God is. I think we live that out sometimes, though. Instead, what we find is God is the God who helps those who can't help themselves. Because I don't know if you know this, but none of us can save ourselves. I mean, death wins over us all. Sin wins in all of our lives if it isn't for the grace of God. But songs have this way of speaking to our lives. In fact, what we find is that Mary, the mother of Jesus, she had a pretty good understanding of the character and nature of God. We talked last week about how Mary would have been, when she found out she was going to be pregnant, or found out she was pregnant, she would have been about 13, 14 years old. Like, that's, that's not very old, by the way. That's 7th, 8th grade. The seventh, eighth grade girl found out she was pregnant. And don't worry, God's the father. Oh, good. Glad, glad we got that taken care of, right? I mean, like, can you imagine being a seventh or eighth grade girl and finding out you're pregnant? And you're like, yeah, I, I took health class. I know how this happens. I didn't do that. Gabriel Angel's like, don't worry, you're good. We got it covered. See, Mary began to understand the very character and nature of God. So much so that last week we talked about how, how Mary knows that she's willing to be God's servant. And so God sends Gabriel to her and he says, hey, you found favor with God. You, as this young girl, you have been righteous. You have been right in the eyes of God. You have tried so hard to follow me that I'm going to reward you with something inexplicable. This, this promise that the scriptures speak of, that you, you heard about this one that's going to come and save God's people, he's in your womb right now. Oh. And in fact, your aunt, who's kind of old, she's pregnant too. She's a little further along than you because her son's going to be the one to tell others about your son. Oh. So Mary runs to her cousin Elizabeth and says, Elizabeth, and as she gets there, Elizabeth greets her and says, Mary, this is crazy. I'm pregnant, you're pregnant. I mean, I'm married, you're not. But I mean, we're, we're going to have babies. They're going to be cousins. It's this great thing. In fact, my son, I mean, your son gets to be the Lord, but my son gets to be the one kind of like Elijah. This is a pretty cool thing. And can you imagine that moment? This young girl who celebrates, she doesn't know the right words to say, so she sings. And if you'll stand this morning, we'll read the words of her song from Luke chapter 1, beginning with verse 46. I mean, Luke records for us these words of Mary because, like I said earlier, sometimes we don't, we don't know how to put words in the right f- 
formula. We don't know where, how to put them. We just know there's lots of things we want to say, and so we just throw it all out. And song form is a good way to do that. I mean, I, I know you guys think I don't make sense most weeks anyway, so maybe I should just write songs instead. But, but here's what, what Mary sings. Luke 1, verse 46 says this. And Mary said, My soul glorifies the Lord. And my spirit rejoices in God, my Savior, for he has been mindful of the humble state of his servant. From now on, all generations will call me blessed. For the Mighty One has done great things for me. Holy is his name. His mercy extends to those who fear him. From generation to generation, he has performed mighty deeds with his arm. He has scattered those who are proud in their inmost thoughts. He has brought down rulers from their thrones, but has lifted up the humble. He has filled the hungry with good things, but has sent the rich away empty. He has helped his servant Israel, remembering to be merciful to Abraham and his descendants forever, even as he said to our fathers. Mary stayed with Elizabeth for about three months and then returned home. The word of the Lord. You may be seated. Mary begins her song with these words, My soul glorifies the Lord. My soul, that these words that in Latin, it's, it's the word that often is used to, to name this song. Magnificat. This means my soul. And often we think of soul and we kind of have these kind of questions of what that is. And so we, we go, what... What is this magnificent song that she sings of? What, what is it she's wanting to know? And so these words become for us this kind of confusion. What, what do we mean by soul? I mean, often if, we, if, if you've taken like philosophy or you just watch weird television, I mean, Plato talks about the soul as, as being kind of this thing out here and the body's here. And so the soul and body are kind of two separate identities. And, and it's kind of the Platonic Platonist understanding of the body and soul, and they're separate. And so when you die, the soul is good and the body is bad. And so physical things are bad and spiritual things are good. But what Mary understands is what we should understand, which really is what all of Christianity should understand. The soul is not a separate part of us. The soul is the very essence of our being. When we say soul, what we mean is who we are in relationship to God who we are in light of the presence of God, what we look like. If we were to stand before God, that Mary's saying is, my soul, my very essence of my being in relationship to God stands before God and glorifies the Lord. So what I want is I want the very essence of me to worship God. And that's how she begins this song. She desires to know and reflect the very character and the nature of God. See, Mary, what she does is she kind of gives us a quick picture of really all the biblical narrative up until this point. Really, all the Old Testament is summed up in her song. She sums up the character of God. See, she has been immersed in the Psalms, the songs of the Scriptures, the Proverbs, the words of wisdom. She's been immersed in the words of the prophets and those who have come before. She has been immersed in who they have said God really is. Even in the moments of confusion about who God is, Mary has been immersed in it in such a way that she knows who God is, that the prophets have called about this one who will come and have victory over even death itself, the one who will bring mercy and hope and healing. Mary begins to sing. And Mary is overwhelmed because she knows the words of the prophets. 
She knows that the one who is coming is going to set the world right. She knows that the one who is coming is going to help all people know who God is and the very character of God, which is love. They will all come to know that. Mary and Elizabeth have spent their lives immersed in this idea, and so out of this, Mary begins to sing. And if you were to take the time, you could go back and look at the words she sings, and they reference stories and scriptures all throughout the Old Testament. She's just pulling out words and phrases that define the character of God that fit with the biblical narrative of who God is and what he has continued to do. And in those stories and in that narrative, God will topple all the powers that represent slavery of every kind. Especially slavery to our own sin and our inability to save ourselves. And so Mary sings about this. I mean, Mary rejoices. She says, my soul rejoices. I mean, this is, this is pretty impressive that she's saying this because if we were to think about Mary's story, we'd think about how she would go from this moment and she would find herself on the outskirts of town. She'd find herself talked about by others. Oh, this teenage girl, can you believe she was having sex before she was married? I mean, you can just hear the story. She's pregnant. She's only 13. What was she doing? But that isn't the time that Mary does this. I mean, we could think about later when just a couple years from this time that Jesus and Mary head off to Egypt as refugees because Herod wants to kill them. That's a reminder of how we should think of refugees at times in our own lives. We can think about when, when Jesus is 12 years old and he finds himself missing from his mom and she's traveling from Jerusalem and he, she's freaking out. Can you imagine your 12-year-old missing and you've traveled a whole day away? I've been around 12-year-olds. They don't think straight, right? I mean, they just kind of do their own thing and don't know that other people are around. And she goes to all Jesus' little friends like, hey, do you know where Jesus is? And they're like, no, you're his mom. Like, why would we know? Like, we haven't been playing with him today. And so she's freaking out and she runs back to Jerusalem and there he is in the temple. He's like, mom, what are you, what's wrong with you? Why are you freaking out here? <laughs> I'm fine. I mean, you can imagine. And if that's not bad enough, imagine... Her son's 33 years old. He's been beaten, stripped naked, bleeding. Hung on a cross with nails in his hands and his feet and his side's been pierced. You've watched him die and now he's dead before your eyes. Mary's not there yet. In these moments, Mary finds herself Rejoicing because this child in her womb, this is the one God promised. I mean, the rejoicing probably pales in comparison to the rejoicing at the resurrection when Jesus came back and said, see, behold, I make all things new. Not even death itself can conquer me. Mary doesn't know that yet, but she knows the character and the nature of God. And she begins to sing about who God is, how he lifts up the humble, and he says to those who are too proud, good luck with that. I'll show you what true humility looks like because the humble will be raised up and the proud will be put down. And he says to those who are poor, if you're poor in this life, if you'll find your riches in me, then there will be a day when you'll find true riches. And those who are rich in this life, he says, not that your riches are bad, but this, if your riches own you, there'll be a day when you're completely poor. So be good stewards of what you have. And he goes on to say this, those who are weak and strong, we're going to flip that script. 
And you think, well, was he talking like, like big muscles? Like whoever's got the bigger muscles will someday have no muscles? No, that's not what he's really talking about. What he's saying is this. There are people who are in places of power. Whether it's politically or in your work or wherever it may be. And if you don't steward that power well, there will be a day when you're on the outside and you're the oppressed and you're the marginalized. But know this, the poor and the oppressed and the marginalized, I will lift up and I will make right. And they'll find true power when they come to know me and I will redeem and restore that which is broken. So to all those of the world who find themselves in any kind of power, beware. If you abuse that power, it is God who will make that right. It should scare all of us in some ways. What God says is the poor and the oppressed and the marginalized, I will come to them and I will redeem them and I will make all things new. So whenever we find ourselves in positions that we can be a part of God's redemption of all things, then we better take part. Better take seriously the idea of putting hats and gloves on a mitten tree or giving gifts to those in need or reaching out for those who find themselves pushed aside in the margins and unable to take care of themselves because the song is wrong that says God only helps those who help themselves. It's bad theology. That isn't God. Maybe the world in which we live, but it isn't God. And he calls his people to something greater than that. And then Mary sings of the righteous and the wicked and says, God will, God will lift up those who desire to know me. God says to those who love me, I'll make your paths straight. Prophets cry out and say, the hills will be lowered and the valleys will be raised up and the road will be made straight for the king who is to come. And Mary's singing these words because this is what God is doing in this child that will redeem and restore all that is broken. All the humiliation that Mary will face, all of that is nothing compared to the fact that the one who will conquer even death itself is in her womb. echoes the song of Hannah's song in 1 Samuel chapter 2 where Hannah sings of all that that will come in the prophet in her womb but instead of just biblical justice for the oppressed which Hannah sings of for Samuel who will come. Mary's song takes it a step further. Mary's song says this will be God in flesh. This will be the one who echoes the call of the prophets only he takes them even further and this will be the one they release all people from bondage. This will be the one who will be the hope of the world. This will be the one that will redeem our very souls. This is the one who makes us right in relationship with God so that when we stand before him, we know who we are. And you'll notice that if you go and look at the preaching of Jesus, much of what Jesus preaches and teaches, Mary talks about in this very song. When she doesn't even know the words to express, so she sings words of the scriptures, words that define the character of God. Because Mary knows who God is. Because she has been immersed in the teachings of the scriptures. She's been immersed in the church of her day. She's been immersed in trying to study and know who God is and reading all that the scriptures have for her. It's a reminder to us to read the words of Jesus, to meditate on them, to listen to them, to daily take time to begin to read the words of Jesus in such a way that it comes alive in us so we become the people who know who God is, the very nature and character of God. 
Mary's song is about her knowing the God of love. Mary's song is about the unexpected arrival that Gabriel brings to she and Elizabeth and Zechariah. It's about the unexpected arrivals in all of our lives. Mary knows who God is. And she lives it out in such a way that those unexpected arrivals in her own life are reflected in the way she loves others. Do we reflect the same thing? I was thinking about about that this week as, as we think about do we know the character and nature of God as love? Do we know the God who redeems and restores and makes all things new? Do we know the God who calls us to go to the places of the poor and the oppressed and the marginalized? And I was thinking about the story I told last week about Tony Campolo in Honolulu. And so I thought this week I'll just tell a story of Tony Campolo in Haiti. I mean, it's the same guy, starts with an H, just a different place. Tony tells a story, he used to go to Haiti a lot for um, inner city work and they, they build orphanages there because the, the rate of, of kids without places to live is, is pretty high. And he said, always on my last night, I would, I would stop in Port-au-Prince on my way back and I'd always stay at the Holiday Inn because I figured it was courteous to the people on the plane that I took a good shower before I sat next to them for the flight home. thought they would appreciate that. So, so I found myself walking to the hotel, and as I'm walking towards the entrance of the hotel, I get propositioned by this probably 14, 15-year-old girl. Same age as Mary. And she stops me and she says, Mister, you can have me all night for $10. There she is with her two other little teenage girlfriends trying to dress and act older than they really are. So in the moment, I looked at the next friend. I said, can I have you for $10 too? She says, yes. And I looked at the third one. I said, can I have you for $10 too? She says, yes. And at this point, they're kind of looking at me like I'm a disgusted, disgusting man, which any man who would do this really is. She says, okay, I'll see you. In, I'm in room 210. I'll see you in 30 minutes. $30, right? Yep. Okay. At this point, I'm thinking, man, my wife would kill me. I don't know how this is going to end. This is a really bad idea. The church would fire me. I mean, like, I just think of all the other side of this story right at this point, but but Tony gets in the hotel and he calls the front desk and he says, I need every Disney movie you have sent to my room. So they send up all the Disney movies they have in the hotel. And he says, and I need four banana splits, the biggest ones you can make in the kitchen. I need them sent to my room. And I need it all there in less than 30 minutes. 30 minutes later, the girls walk in. For the rest of the night, the girls eat banana splits and watch Disney movies. And then they all three fall asleep on the, on the bed as Tony sits in the chair and cries. As I look over and I see these three girls and I think, what have I done? I haven't changed their life any. He said, and what seemed to be the Holy Spirit said to me, yeah, but Tony, you reminded them and you showed them that there's a God who loves people and there's a way that people are called to be treated and they deserve better than they have known. See, Tony was walking into the hotel and it was an unexpected arrival in his life. He didn't, he didn't want or desire a 14-year-old girl to proposition. In fact, it disgusted him and hurt him and made his very soul ache but he saw opportunity to express love in tangible ways. Are we open to God's unexpected arrivals in our own lives? And so I, I, I don't know how many of you know this story. We didn't make a big deal about it, and he didn't make a big deal about it, and, and he kept hoping that, that this kid named Dalton, who's now in Alabama, would, would uh, come to know Jesus here. And so you may not know, but, but Pastor Trevor, um, several months ago now, there was a, um, uh, like a 20-year-old, 22-year-old kid who didn't have a place to live, and so he was living next door, 
And he wasn't married yet, so there was room, and so he invited this kid to live with him for a few months. It wasn't the greatest thing. <laughs> there were some kind of messed up things in the story, but, but Jarvis said, he doesn't have a place to go, and I've got room. And he invited him in. Now, I'm not saying if you're a, a single mom or you've got two small children, that's a great idea for you. But I am saying, are we open to the opportunities of unexpected arrivals in our life so that we can show tangible expressions of God's love? Because Mary knows the character and nature of God because she has been immersed in the scriptures. And in fact, her son becomes God in flesh and tells us who his father really is. That's why he uses these kind of words. I am in my father. My father is in me. If you know my Father, then you know me. And if you know me, then you know my Father. And he begins to tell us who he is. He says, for God so loved the world that he gave his only Son so that we could be redeemed and restored and made new. And he calls us to be his reflection of that love and how we live. He calls us to be people who recognize the song of God when we hear it who sing music with our lives, who take Mary's song, its first two words, say, my soul, my soul. What is the song of our soul? What song does our soul sing? Does it sing the words of God that speak love and truth and hope? Or does the song of our soul speak something else? But when Jesus comes, what we celebrate, the reason we decorate a room with lights and green stuff and flowers and whatever else you decorate, the reason we do that at Christmas, that even 2,000 years later that we would talk about this song is because of the person that was in Mary's womb, this person, Jesus, who is God in flesh, who is God who comes among us, who is God who invites us to know and receive life and life to its fullest, who comes to make all the wrongs right, who comes to free the oppressed and set the captives free in every kind of captivity in our life whether it is to our own sin or death itself, and he offers hope that he'll redeem even our very souls because that's who God is, because God is love. And Jesus represents the fullness of God's love. And the song Preacher by One Republic got it wrong. God doesn't help those who who help themselves. God helps us all because we can't help ourselves. The question we're left with is, what is the song that our soul sings? What is the song our soul sings? Are we ready for the unexpected arrivals in life? Are we willing to be the one who, just like Gabriel says to Mary, you're a servant of the Lord. I know this. This morning, the band's going to come and lead us, and we're going to sing 10,000 Reasons one more time. As you sing it, this is really the question of us of what does our soul sing? This morning, I would invite you and I for us to live out and to articulate a way of life and living and leading that leads us to know who this God is that redeems and restores and makes all things new. And may the song of our soul and who we are in relationship to God may be defined by the very character and nature of God. 
so that we don't sing songs with our life that are bad theology, that are bad about telling us who God is, but we sing songs that define the very character and nature of God who is love. Will you stand and pray with me this morning? Father, we come before you today thankful that in the midst of all that's going on in our life, in the midst of all that we find, that there's a God who comes to us and invites us to know his love and his compassion and his graciousness, who comes to us in the midst of heartache and despair. And he says, I know you can't save yourself, but that's okay because I've come to save you. That all the things that hold us captive in life, all the things that that haven't freed us, I will free you from them all. You call us to a life of repentance, to confession, to turning from evil and sin in our life and turning towards you which offers life and hope and love. And you invite us to write music with our lives, to, to create art. It's like Mary's song that says, my soul rejoices. So Father, help us to live out as a people who are waiting unexpected arrivals, who embrace your love and compassion, who create space and room for the poor, the oppressed, the marginalized, for those who are weak, for those who are humble. And may we be careful if we find ourselves in positions of power or wealth. May we be careful to use them wisely and steward them well. Father, we thank you for the words of Mary and for her faithfulness that even 2,000 years later we sing the song together of a God that in Jesus invites us all to know your love, to embrace this story that runs throughout the scriptures that shows us the character of God who comes to us who knows what it's like to be one of us and invites us to know to know him. So Lord, may we live as a people, especially this holiday season, and every day for the rest of our lives, who write new sor- stories with our soul, who write new songs that speak of who God is and invite others into this life. And may we follow Jesus with all that we are, so whatever the next step we need to take today, whether we need to just commit to come weekly, whether we need to commit to, to begin to invite others to know this Jesus or just come to church, may we, may we embrace that. May we spend time in the scriptures. May we find ourselves willing to model generosity. May we be a people who, who know you and know that we know that we are loved. I pray this all in your son Jesus' name. Amen.